0: Thank you for tuning into What's the Wi-Fi Passer? A place where we have discussions about topics and issues that are relevant to the teens in our generation and how to point them towards the gospel. If you have any questions or would like to learn more about this podcast, please email Joshua Shively at joshuas at calvary.com. All right, James chapter 4,
1: verse 13 through 17. I'm just really enjoying teaching through James. I'm enjoying going through this book. I hope you guys are too. Shh. All right, come on. I hope you guys are too. Um, it really is one of my favorite books in the Bible. I think I've told you guys I've, I've taught it multiple times in my youth ministry career. And I, I do. Every time I teach it, I learn from it and I grow from it. I'm challenged in it. And I'm hoping that going through James like we have at a pretty steady pace uh, through this kind of fall season, like end of summer and the fall season, that you've, it'll become one of your favorite books also too. That'll be something that you read yearly. You, you, you kind of glean from it and grow from it that it would be something that is, is really a foundation of your life. Uh, and so we, as we go into this section tonight, uh, we're going to continue the heart and the theme of James, which has been James kind of uh, pushing us and urging us to live this, this real, this practical, this living Christian faith. And that's the theme. That's the heart. That James, as he speaks to this, this church in the first century, uh, some 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, that he would urge them to live a real practical faith. That that you wouldn't just be churchy, that you wouldn't just know a lot of Christianese, that you wouldn't just act like Christians are supposed to act, or have the bumper stickers or the tattoos or whatever you're supposed to have as Christians, right? But that your life would personify like a real, practical, living faith. Kind of the theme verse of James is faith without works. Okay, you guys got to get rid of that. (laughs) It's gonna bug me the whole time. Um, You know, the whole, the kind of the main verse from James is you know, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. And it's, it's just this vivid imagery he gives us where if your faith is not living, it's dead. And that makes sense, right? If something's not living, what is it? Dead. It's dead, right? It doesn't, it, there's not kind of living, right? There's, I don't want you to be zombies. I want you to be living Christians. I want your faith to be living, right? Real, true. Zombies are no good. Uh, and so the idea here is as we go through this book, you guys, as we go through this letter, that you would come out the other side, you know, as we go into November, as we do some service projects, um, that, that your heart, that your mind, you guys, would, would fully be like, set on li- having a living, practical faith. That it would be more than just this Christian needs. It would be more than just, I'm a Christian because I go to church, or I'm a Christian because my parents are Christians, or because I really like youth group, I'm a Christian. But that you would choose to walk in this faith. Like we read last week, kind of starting in chapter 4, James warns us against this worldly way of thinking. And we kind of went through uh, verse 1 through 12 and just this idea of, of these practical steps that James gives us where he says things like draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And that's just something simple, something real. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Just these simple steps he gives us through the book and like, as we went through last week, just these, this like, getting away from worldly wisdom, this worldly outlook and start to change your perspective, to have a, a kingdom mindset, to have a biblical worldview, to see the world in a different bent than, than, or this life, this reality in a different bent, than the rest of the world does. And it can kind of be compared to in Romans, where Paul says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the word of God. Where the world wants you to conform, the world wants to press you into this mold. If you think of like a, a piece of Play-Doh being put in one of those forms, you know, and you peel it out and it, looks like whatever that form was. That's that conformed, you know. Paul is saying, don't be conformed to that, but be transformed. And In the same sense, we see that, that theme all through the New Testament. It's no different in the book of James. But the idea here is, like, don't be just conformed to what the world is calling you to be. Heck, don't even be conformed to what your thought of a Christian might be. Don't even be conformed to like, what you think like, like a Christian should look like, and talk like, and smell like, and whatever it is, right? Don't be conformed to that, but be transformed by the word of God. Be transformed by what James calls us here to this living, practical faith. Let your life personify it. Let it be something that just kind of seeps out of who you are. Just this living faith. And so James just continues to urge us into that through this like warning against worldliness or this worldly, warning against worldly thinking. And as we get into verse 13 through 17 tonight, finishing out chapter 4, the idea here is that James continues to want kind of to twist our perspective. He wants to take the way that you would just naturally look at the world as a human, And then change that a little bit, put like this God bent on it. And so we're going to read this tonight and kind of study through it. And so basically the big picture, you guys, is that James wants to steer us. You know, he wants to steer us through this this secular kind of minefield that we walk in each day. Where where it would be so easy to be like the world. It would be so easy to just conform to what the world is calling you to be. But he wants to kind of steer us through this so that we would come out the other side different and changed. That's kind of like the big picture. So, let's pray real quick, and we'll start with verse 13. So, Father, we come before you, and we just thank you so much for your word, and God, how it's real and true, and it's something that we need each day. God, I thank you that through this time, Father, we can grow closer to you, we can grow in our faith, and we can can just be made real, God. So, we just thank you and praise you, Lord, in your name. Amen. All right, so, verse 13, follow along with me. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. right? so James starts this little section off. Now, again, continuing from the section before, but kind of, again, twisting our minds a little bit. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a place and into a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now, what is James trying to say here? Like, what, what is there anything wrong with what's he, what, what he's saying? Not really, right? Is there anything wrong with planning ahead? Is there anything wrong with planning for the future? No. Right, you juniors and seniors, a lot of you are thinking of the next step out of high school, right? Like, is there anything wrong with that? We no. would have had those questions tonight and you were sitting there going, no, I don't know. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. Like, I just don't want to plan. You know, I just want to go with the flow. Be like, well, oh, we should talk. There's something, you know, I, I hope that you have some goals or aspirations, something that that's you're excited about. You know, I ask that question in small groups. Like what's your greatest fear, what's your greatest anxiety, what's your greatest like, happiness, right? What's your greatest like, thing that you're excited about in the future, and there should be kind of that. The fear of like the unknown. Who are you winking at? Bella? <laughs> oh, okay, Jenny. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I see everything. Yeah. Okay. All right. It kind of seemed towards Keanu, but I'm just saying. I thought it was Santi. That's her brother, dude. It's weird, Carter. Exactly. You don't get to talk anymore tonight. Okay. So anyway. All right. So the idea is like, is there anything wrong with this? In your first glance, you'd read that and say no. As humans, as as kind of the way we're raised, our base nature is to plan, right? To plan for the future, to plan for, for what to do. And so really, like, is there anything wrong with the desire to excel in life? Is there anything... To wrong, wrong with the desire to, to better yourself, to, to, as he says here, to go to a town. Maybe there's, there's something happening in that town that the village or the, the city is growing and maturing. It's a port city. Uh, and 2,000 years ago, this would have really spoke to those people as many people would take their goods and travel to another city. If you and your family worked in marble or in some type of yarn or some type of harvest, you'd want to take that and go to where you could sell it. You'd want to go to the people that would most buy your product. And so really James is saying there's not much wrong with this, He's not saying that there's anything wrong with this mentality. Um, Really, even in a sense to a Christian and and a biblical worldview, there's nothing wrong with this. That you would say that I want to go and better myself. I want to go and and I want to, you know, in a sense, provide for my family. I want to make money and better my future. There's nothing unbiblical with that. Now, as we continue on, though, James, again, wants to twist our, our vision, where he says in verse 14, Yet. All right, that word, yet. He says, so you have this thought, you have this ambition, you have this desire, which is natural as humans. I hope and pray that all of you in this room have some type of ambition to better yourself, to, to grow and mature in some way, but yet. Right, James says this, yet. Yeah. He wants us to understand something. Verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What, your, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. All right? Man. What a bummer. What a bummer. Right? Like James lays it out, just this, this idea, but yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Basically saying you are not promised tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. What, there's a million things that can happen. There's a hundred million things that can happen. I mean, basically the two great certainties of life, you guys, is that it will pass and that God knows everything and we don't. Like those are like the great certainties of life. Is that life will pass, you will die. It's the great equalizer of man, whether rich, poor, strong, weak, wherever you're at in that, that field, right? Male, female, it doesn't matter. You're gonna die. Life will pass. God knows when, you don't. Right? Those are just that's truth, that's reality right there. And so James lays this out so clearly. Now, this is not just an idea that James comes up with, that he's just like some grumpy old jerk that's like, Life's a mist and you're going to die, so just get over it. But we see this all through the Old Testament, right? We see this in Psalms 102. The psalmist talks about how life is short. It's this mist, this dust that kind of floats away. Job chapter 8 talks about it. Chronicles chapter 29. Solomon talks about how life is fleeting. It, it's passing. Like you can build this entire empire and yet pass it on to your child or your son or your daughter and they can just waste it all away. You spend your whole life building something, die, pass it on to the next generation, and they could just waste it all the way. And you could do nothing about it, right? It's just that this life is temporal. So verse 13, he lays out this very real fact, this natural thing that you and I can do, planning and, and pushing for the future, bettering ourselves. But then he gives us this, uh, this twist by saying, yet, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes, we kind of have to remember the story that Jesus told about the rich man, right, that made his great plans in Luke chapter 12. And he foolishly stored all his his goods in these giant storehouses, but then did not know that the Lord would call his life that night. It's this idea that we, where is our perspective in this? I mean, the idea here, you guys, is we're so fragile. We are. I mean, think about it. So many times we think we matter. So many times we think we're invincible. I'm sure when Chris is hauling butt down some single track trail on his 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 brand new baby bike that he's that he's thinking he's invincible right but really what does it take to kill a man doesn't take much does it It takes one little one little piece of something takes a one drop of poison it takes takes one wrong turn takes one idiot taking running through a red light like it doesn't take much we're pretty fragile aren't we and so James here really wants us to understand that guys it basically one heartbeat away life could be over I know this is heavy. I'm not trying to, like, you know, don't, you. Know, I think in my previous years of teaching this, I would have talked about some plane crashing right through our youth group and killing all of us, and it could happen, and, you know, kind of a thing. Or, hey, you could die in a car wreck home. Um, it could, yeah, exactly. I don't you want sure to do that. Exactly, I know, it's crazy, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Life is short, and we don't know a whole lot about it, do we? You know, and, and things can happen if we look through history. I mean, think... Of, think you know, two thousand years ago where they didn't have the science we do today, someone just drops dead, they're like, Oh yeah, he laughed too much and he died. Like they wouldn't know, like he just laughed too much or like, you know, I don't know, he ate that one red pepper or something. I don't know, you know, it's it's you wouldn't know. So you gotta think even two thousand years ago where James lays this out, it's even more mystery of of how life would end. And so this idea that James wants us to get, again, laying out that, that truth in verse thirteen and then laying out the perspective in verse fourteen. He wants us to understand that life, in a sense, is very fragile and that we don't really know what tomorrow's going to bring. We don't. We don't know what God's going to bring in our life. And maybe if you have some of you in this room have gone through things like that where, where quick right turns have happened in your life. Where people have left or people have abandoned or things have just completely changed. And maybe you're just like, man, like, I did not see that coming. I know there's been points in my life. I can look back in my life and there were certain points that my life just took a 90 degree angle. And I just didn't see it coming, nor could I have planned, nor, nor was it my fault. But just because of someone else's circumstances, because someone else made choices, it affected me. And so what should I do with that? With this truth, because if our nature is to plan, our nature is to, to look ahead, our nature is to better ourselves, and we should be doing those things. Like, but yet life is fleeting. Life is, is short. Life is, is this mist that is here now but gone tomorrow or gone in a moment. And, and it's short, and it's not, tomorrow's not promised to me, what should my perspective be then? Right? We kind of talked about in our small groups. Maybe a non-Christian would say in one hand, oh, well, everything's, it's, life is hopeless, so boom. Or maybe another non-Christian would say, hey, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So might as well party tonight, because I'm not promised tomorrow. Right? Maybe a non-Christian would take those different type of views. But us as Christians, as James wrote this letter to mature Christians, I hope today, like as you sit here tonight, that you're, there's a maturity in your walk, there's a maturity in your faith also. How should you take this? What should our perspective be? And so James continues in verse 15 by saying, Instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. James here gives us the conclusion. He kind of gives us this, this truth. He gives us this problem, and then gives us a solution. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. This is not something new, you guys. If you read through Paul's epistles, many times you would say, I wanted to go to you in Rome, but the Lord you know, like withheld me, or if the Lord wills, I'll go to you. Maybe you've heard this saying in your Christian walk, you've heard your parents say it, heck, maybe you've said it. If God wills, I'll do it. Right? If God's cool with it, I'll go to camp. If, God's, if God wills it, I'll, I'll go on that mission trip. Or if God wills it, you know, if, if God's okay with it, if, he's, if he opens that door. Right? We have a lot of Christian terms. That's the one we like to use. Like, oh, God opened a door. <laughs> right? like I tried to push it and God opened it. You know, things like that. But see, the idea here is that our perspective needs to change. Our idea our, of who we truly are. If life is so fleeting, if life is, is really something that's so small, then, then, and we can't trust ourselves in a sense, we can't trust our own lives because we, don't, we can't plan tomorrow. We don't have tomorrow in our hands. Well, the logical thought would be then who has tomorrow in his hands? And hopefully tonight you as a Christian can say it in all honesty and all certainty. Well, God has my tomorrow in his hands. God does know that we believe, as the word said, that God is, is all-knowing, that he, he does hold all eternity in his hands, that he knows your yesterday, today, and tomorrow knows every breath, every thought, every step that you've ever taken and ever will. Many times through Psalms, it says that God is, he, he protects us while we lay down, and he's there while we rise up. Like many times in the Psalms, David talks about, I can go to the farthest ends of anywhere and go to hell itself, and yet you are there with me. And it's the idea that you and I, we change our perspective that God is in control. If I'm not in control, right, if I'm just this mist, and I really don't have control, then logically, who has control? Because I want to trust in that person. And the logical answer here tonight, guys, is, is God. Is that God is in control. That he has your tomorrow. That as James says, like, yet you don't have tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? It's this mist. God looks at you and says, well, I have your tomorrow. And I, I, you are more than a mist to me because I've planned good things for you. And even in the hardest of seasons, even in, in complete turmoil in your life, if you trust me, There's going to come good from it. You see, scriptures over and over again tell us that God is in control, that he is completely sovereign, and that he does have good for you. There may be moments in life it doesn't seem like he does have good for you. Maybe there's moments in life it seems like, why would God let this thing happen to me, or why would God allow this bad thing to to happen to these people I love? But the fact is, God promises over and over again that there will be restoration. That there will be good from those heart seasons. There will be blessing and there will be, be growth, even in the, the hardest times of pruning and being stretched and broken. Now, logically, again, when we look at something like this, what's the other side? What's really our other choice? If we look at life, we realize okay, like I don't hold it in my hands, but God does. And either I trust Him, or as James here says, we boast and we act in arrogance, verse 16. This arrogance is essentially sin, you guys. It essentially comes to pride or, or this, this proud independence from God. And this word, it, this word arrogance literally translates into like the wandering quack. It's like the doctor that traveled around selling snake oil. Claiming it would, would cure everything from mumps and measles and chicken pox and scars. And, and yet it's just, it's just horse pee in a bottle or something like that, right? It's just the wandering quack. And literally just traveling around in his arrogance, selling this, this snake oil, but did nothing for anybody, but just to better himself. It's this idea that that our choice in life, you guys, is either to honor God in this the fragility of life, or in arrogance and in pride, say, No, you know what? I got this. And I can handle this. When really it, it, you don't have anything. Because you're not, you don't have your life in your hands. God has it. We see this all the way back, you guys. I mean, really to the point in Isaiah 14 where he talks about Lucifer. You know, Satan himself, how he fell from this pride, this type of arrogance. Where, where he knew God, and, and as we see in Scripture, the, the most we can tell about this, this creature, Satan, right? That's not his name, it's a title, right? The, the deceiver. Is that in some point in history, he looked upon God and said, I don't want to depend on this creator anymore. And in pride and arrogance, as Isaiah 14 says, he fell. He fell. We see it all the way back to Adam in Genesis chapter 3, when sin came. At some point in that, God had said, don't touch that. <laughs> that brings death. Whether it was an apple or pear or whatever type of fruit you wanted to think, I don't care. But like the idea here is that in that apple or in that piece of fruit, God said, don't eat, don't touch. There's death there. Adam and Eve, they chose arrogance. They chose pride. They chose to say, "I've got this god. I've got I know better than you in a sense. I can handle my life better than you can." And see the idea here is that that James really wants us to bring us down to this truth, this realness that you guys you don't have your life in your hands. And even if you can sit here tonight and go, god, "Josh, I've already applied to the college I want and I got accepted." And I've, I've done everything I've got to. I've got the straight A's. I've got the money saved. I've got the scholarships coming in. I've got A, B, and C lined up. And just in case that doesn't work out, I've got D, E, and F also, Josh. And it's good. I've got it. Even if you're that prepared, even if you've got everything lined up in life, you've got the savings, you've got the, the, the complete tenacity to do it, you still don't have your life in your hand. You still are not promised tomorrow. You still are not promised that that is going to be your life from here on out. That you're going to have that mentality. That you're going to have that tenacity. That your mind, your body is going to work in that way. And that's why we give it to God. Because let's say you have ABC and DEF all lined up. And you're going. And let's say you have a brain hemorrhage. You guys remember Austin Kim's testimony? Mm -hmm. Like from summer camp. He's a youth pastor in refuge, you guys. He He had a brain hemorrhage. He lost some of his brain in surgery. He thought... Like He had to literally relearn how to live, walk, talk, eat. The dude was going to be a brain surgeon, you guys. Like, and the Lord has completely restored every bit of him. If you know Austin today, you would never know. The man loves the Lord. He honors him in his work and in his free time and his singleness. He, he is a testament to God's goodness. But see, the thing is, even and Austin's the type of guy, you guys, I mean, he had A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H all lined up. Right? The dude was and the CSUMB. Yet he, he didn't have his hand, life in his hands. God did. And see, I'm not telling you this to like put this huge heavy burden on you. Because there should be freedom. There should be freedom in knowing that God is in control and I'm not. Because he's much bigger than me, right? He's much stronger than me. He's much smarter than me. He's, he's everything that I, I, I wish I was. And he's so much more. And so they put my life in his hands to say, Lord, I do have plans. I do have ambitions. I do have tenacity. God, I want to grow. I want to mature. But God, I'm going to lay it in your hands because you know better than I do. You do. And see, so you guys, the flip side to that, the other side of that is just arrogance. To say, God, I've got ambition. I've got it lined up. I've got everything I need. And I'm going to keep it because I know better than you. And that's just arrogance, isn't it? I mean, it's easy to read a verse like this and pass over it and think, no, like, I, I give God some things. Where if God was sitting here tonight, right, if you were standing before a deity, it'd be really hard to hold anything back from him. Mm-hmm. See, that's how real this has to be to us, Christians. This, has, this is how real this, this talk that James gives us has to be to us. Because the fact is, we are standing before a deity. We are walking before our God. I mean, God did so much that you and I would know as Hebrews said, that he is a good high priest who knows our, our everything, our sin, our troubles, our worries, our pains. We are standing before him, and in that, you guys, he's a good God that's worthy of us to give our life to. James finishes here in verse 17 by saying, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Turn to Luke chapter 12 real quick, guys. Back to the Gospels, Luke chapter 12, verse 41. Jesus gives us this parable, 1241, that kind of depicts what James is talking about here. Jesus says, or Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is faithful and wise manager whom his masters will set over his household to give them their portion of food uh, at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to him himself, My master is delayed in coming, he begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and he will cut him into pieces and put him in the unfaithful. And the servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know, and did what, deserved, did what deserved a beating receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. James, Jesus gives us this parable, basically laying out. I mean, to him who knows much, much responsibility is given. To him who did not know much, but knew enough, right? It'd be a lighter beating. Less responsibility is given. See, what James here and Jesus in the parable in Luke, what he wants us to understand is that as you guys are given knowledge, as you're giving understanding, like as you're hearing scripture, as you're seeing God move, as you're coming to youth group, as you're coming to church, and you've maybe been to a couple camps, you've been on a mission trip or two, the idea here, you guys, is you've been given all this knowledge of God. You've been given all this knowledge of Jesus and salvation and how God moves and his goodness and his grace and how he wants to be in your life. He wants you to hand over your life to him. As you've been given all this, with that comes great responsibility, as it were. With that that comes this idea that then you are responsible for that information. And and see, the the flip side of that is that servant that Jesus said, the servant that was given all the responsibility, was given all the the commands and all the directions from the master, but then said, well, my master is delayed. He's going to come back at some foreign time so I can beat whoever I want and I can drink as much as I want, I can eat as much as I want. And I can do whatever I want because my master won't know. And that says that the master came back when he didn't know and master cut him into pieces and threw him with the unfaithful, right? I mean, it's vivid. It's a vivid description. But the idea here is us as Christians, how are we living? What's our perspective like? Do we think that even as Christians, we think very worldly and secularly that we can, secular, in a secular mindset, that we can eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die? Or we can eat, drink, and be merry because God's not coming back, or I've got a long life to live? Or how are we living? What's our perspective? Or is our perspective that, you know what, God has given me one more day? He's given me today, so I wanna do the best I can to honor Him. I wanna be the best I can to praise Him. I wanna do the best I can to live for Him because tomorrow's not promised to me. I remember being a high schooler, guys. I remember going into college and struggling with sin and struggling with, with independence away from my parents and away from God. And like, I remember me and my buds, we'd be like, yeah, it's just, a, it's a sin weekend, right? It's just a weekend we'll sin. We'll get right on Sunday and then, and then we'll be good through the week, right? And it was just like this mentality, like we'll just sin tonight, right? We'll just, we'll just have this little bit of fun tonight. And you guys, the idea was just so foolish because the consequences came over and over again. And there's many of those nights, you guys, that, that there's still consequences I'm dealing with today, or I'm struggling with today from those choices. The idea was, was that I, like, oh, I know how good God is. I know that He's, he's full of grace. I know He's going to forgive me. And so I'm just going to do this thing and it'll all be okay. I see the fact is, yeah, God is grace, God is mercy. But He still let me deal with the consequences of my actions many, many times over. And by God's grace, I, I had enough info to where I never took it too far, right? I had enough. I had enough information within me. I had enough of the knowledge of God that I never took those sins too far by God's grace. And by God's grace, at some point, he pulled me back in and he made me, he sobered me up to the idea that I would, I would understand how real and serious these verses are, like what James says here. That I was given so much. I was given so much knowledge and information. I was given so much understanding of who God was. And then who was I just to blow it off? Who was I just to say, like, it doesn't matter, I can do what I want, and God can deal with me afterward? Little Christians, like, please hear me. When James says this in verse 17, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. He says it very black and white, he says it very real, that if you sit through youth group, if you sat through children's ministry, middle school ministry, and you find yourself in high school group tonight, and you haven't came to the place of accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior and living a life that honors him then that's sin. You are separated from God. Or even if you sit here tonight, you say, I am a Christian. I know like, all these things. I know what I should be doing. But yet I'm not living like I should. James here is saying, with, that response, with all that knowledge you've received over these years, like, if you're not doing anything about it, it's sin. It comes out as sin. Because God has convicted you. He's called you. Even through a letter like the book of James, where he says things like, faith without works is dead. Have you been challenged at all through these first four chapters of of living out any type of faith? Have you been challenged to step out in faith and to do something in honor of God? Or have you just kind of passed over these verses and just kind of go, yeah, it's okay. It was a good teaching, right? I took some good notes, but like, has it changed you? Now, I'm not saying you have to go out and be Mother Teresa tomorrow. I'm not saying that, right? But the idea here is that it should change you. There should be something different about you after you read a book like James, after these challenges that he lays out before us. Heck, even just your perspective should change, that you don't hold your life in your hands, that God holds your life in your hands, in his hands. Right? That God holds your life, that He's got a plan and a purpose for you, and trust him through that, no matter how daunting or hard it seems. I don't know about you guys, but my own personal testimony. Like I want to be held accountable for the knowledge that I have, but held accountable in a good way, right? I want my life. I want the things that I've done. I want the the wake behind me in a sense, like a boat creates a wake. I want that wake behind me to be one of positive. I want people to be impacted. I want people's lives to be changed. I want I want to tell people about Jesus. I want to trust Him even in the darkest of times of life. I want to trust Him because God is so much bigger and stronger and greater than me. So you guys, like tonight was a heavy message, I get it. But James here, I really believe, wants to communicate to the Christians 2,000 years ago and to us today, like the perspective of understanding God is in control. That, yeah, tomorrow isn't promised to us, but the idea is that that trusting him should bring freedom. Trusting him should bring joy and peace and and understanding that, yeah, if tomorrow doesn't come, hey, it's okay, because God's got it. God's got it. And so, like, hopefully it wasn't too much for you tonight, but I, again, I hope it was a lot. I hope it did impact you. I hope that tonight you leave here, even as you're laying in bed tonight, that you would go, okay, God, I want to trust you with tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I want to trust you with it. I want to trust you with my relationships. I want to trust you with my finances. I want to trust you with my friends. Whatever it is that you need to lay out, I want to trust you with it, God. Yeah, does it make sense, guys? All right. Father, we come before you and we thank you and praise you again for your grace and mercy and goodness. And Lord, just give this all to you. Lord, in your name. Amen. Calvary
0: Monterey's Youth Ministries meet on Tuesday nights at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Monterey. Both middle school and high school students are welcome. Come on out. You belong here. And I promise, we don't bite.